Hello everybody, and welcome to the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe, an hour of interviews, music, and camaraderie. I'm Ryan, and I'll be your host along this crazy adventure through the land of the wheel fiddle. So strap in, and let's see what's cranking in the Hurdy Gurdy community today. Welcome back everyone to the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe podcast. I'm here with um, Sergio Gonzalez. As always, hello guys. Yes, and a very, very special guest. Uh, Pablo Ursuson. Hello, everybody. Hi. Yes. And did I pronounce your name right that time? Uh, myself. Yes. Pablo. Pablo C. Ursuson. Got it. Excellent. Um, Sergio. Yeah, probably other people around pronounce it better than myself. That's <laughs> all right. It's all right. The Sergio kind of turned me on to your music, and you also turned me on to even more music. So I'm really looking forward to uh, speaking with you today. And um, Sergio, since you were the, the prime impetus between, uh, behind getting um, Pablo on the show today. Um, I'd like to let you take over just for now and um, okay. let's get going. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so how would you like to start? So Pablo, is, um, uh, he plays on the band uh, Sangre de Muérdago, which is, uh, how, how would you describe the, um, the style, Pablo? Like dark folk? very deep with the guitar, he also sings, he, it has uh, quite a lot of influence of uh, Galician music on it, some Swedish uh, touches, how would you describe it, Pablo? Um, how to tell, <laughs> like, I, I have to say that people often have, uh, have difficulties to to describe because it's not very generic, I will say. I like to say just plainly, like it's just folk music. Uh, even if the vast majority, it's uh, it's uh, sunlight uh, music, is not trad. But we we definitely we do play some trad stuff, and we usually uh, try to be how you say coherent with the folk tradition it doesn't it doesn't rule you know at every time but it's something that we like to have present and we like to 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 work with the with the traditional dances and so on but after all it's a it's a songwriter songwriters folk i wouldn't say dark i know that a lot of people say dark i but, say that but okay <laughs> yeah no well it's it's just my power my my personal view, nice. I will I will call it light instead of dark. Okay, you know? interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, what maybe I haven't listened to enough of it yet. I mean I've listened to a good bit, but to me I don't get a heavy feeling with it. To me it sounds very like I'm walking through nature. Yes, oniric. <laughs> yes, oniric nature. I, I get that vibe too. So yeah. yes, I, I, I may understand what, what you say about um, it being more light than, than dark. It makes sense, definitely. Yeah, because like, I don't know, people related to dark, which sometimes I understand, but I think uh, maybe sometimes uh, it, it is it is a very romantic, I think. I think it's very melancholic. Uh, yes. But I think it, it is not necessarily necessarily uh, dark or even sad to me. I try to move, put more of a, or infuse it with a more of a of a encouraging feeling, you know, that oh, gets yeah, you in nice. motion somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Yes, well, yes, surprise, Sergio. <laughs> well, before before we get too far in, into the interview, why don't we take a listen to uh, that track that you you sent over called "Heavy Mental"? Does that sound all right? Sure. That, yeah, yeah, perfect. 
Okay. Good English. <laughs> yes, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs>
and that was the track Heavy Mental. So what can you tell us about that track? Um, heavy Mental is a track that I, it's one of the first ones I, I wrote for this, for this album. And, and I remember like my, my memories from where I wrote it, uh, it's especially that middle part that basically baptized the song with the name Heavy Mental because it has like kind of a, of a heavy metal feeling with all yes. that, that middle parts and... And I remember that I was like struggling with the right hand and the and the left hand and and so on. But this is somehow the earliest memory I have from the song. Then it it we actually played it for a whole tour, uh, a bit different of how it ends ended up the song. So in the next tour we were already playing some kind of a second version of it and. Um, the title of heavy mental comes also because of that middle part being kind of like uh, reminding or uh, resembling some kind of heavy metal. But at the same time, it was like some kind of heavy times animically for me and for another person in the band. And somehow that thing of heavy mental was a uh, word game, but uh, yeah, I cannot tell much more than just that yeah well when, when i was listening to it um i really would like to learn how to play it so i guess my question to you is do i need to learn it by ear is there any chance you have some sheet music for it that i could use <laughs> you gotta learn it by ear <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll do it <laughs> you can learn it together ryan i, I okay. also like it so <laughs> yeah that'd be great yeah. Um, music reading and writing is one of my, the, my one of my, how would you say, one of these subjects that are still hanging there. And I have to, I, I, I have to say that I just recently started to, to get myself into the, uh, into the reading because I it has it hasn't been an impediment my whole life to write music, to compose, to go anywhere I want to go. But at this very moment, I also feel a need to, to, to write my own compositions. And also like the after years learning always track stuff by ear or any kind of stuff by ear. Sometimes I recognize how much easier it could be if I just have like a, at least a, a notion of how to go through scores and read them. I mean, I don't need to read them like a book, but but at least that I understand what it says. And and I, cause I guess it happened to everybody that we all we learn a tune by ear, and then we realize after one and a half years that we are playing a couple of wrong notes here and there. Oh, then you listen from someone else, and you are like, oh no way, really? <laughs> yes, I never realized. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, this is part of it, I guess. But see, so hopefully I can give you, I can provide you with a score. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> see yeah. how Pablo can compose like that. He, he's a, a brilliant composer and he uh, doesn't know a lot about uh, about reading. So I would love to, to compose like him, really. I really love how he does it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh, it's all instinct, that's for sure, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this is why, uh, yeah, this is lovely because it's, it's super fresh. I, I, I like it. Okay, so uh, Pablo, how all did start? I mean, how did you get into into the into the folk music? How did you um, start playing the Hardy Girl? Because because you come from the metal background, yeah, right? 
No, you don't. Okay, you don't come from the metal background. So please uh, explain how, how it went. Yeah, my background I will call punk. Punk, oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I mean, in, a, in the, at least this is my point of it. I know that a lot of people have different ideas of what punk is and, it's, and this is why that's the beauty of punk for me. Uh, different like people have very different approaches and very different ideas of of what is punk you know from a from a street punk more of a, like a chaos attitude punk with the proper aesthetics to the intellectual punk uh, publishing uh, books you know and stuff like that so there's a wide spectrum of what punk can mean for people but when it comes to Gurdi uh i i'm from galicia and there i, I in my in my um uh, children years in my early years i my family especially the side of my father still met very often and and they sang especially like all these tavern tavern songs singing drinking songs usually very mournful songs in galicia we call them alalas and and Cantos de Taberna, which yeah, basically is tavern songs. And this is something that I don't know how many times I have around in my life. And I played around with my cousins and where we try uh, to learn the the songs. So I always had that Galician uh, tradition very deep in me. And some of these melodies, especially the more like minor uh, um, melancholic uh, romantic um, melodies always resonated very vib vibrantly inside of me. And I remember myself being a kid and already getting all these goosebumps with, this, with these melodies, with the backpipe of my cousin, the guitar of my aunt. And from there, one day, I don't know, I just always kept it. Then as a teenager, I discovered punk. Everything I wanted to do was screaming out and I couldn't play a single instrument. I always... In, me, in my house, no one really plays anybody in my in my direct family household. I had a flute that I bought myself, and I was learning some Galician melodies with it. But there was nothing really further. But through punk, and I started screaming in bands, and I basically just step into punk like through the local squad in my city and then I discover all this world and they have this info shop and there were all these books with amazing information and and things and in Galicia we have for me the luck that the punk world is very related to the folk tradition and and it's okay. like yeah, very much, very so much. It's, it's, related. It's, this is interesting. It's quite unique, and I think it happens a lot in the Celtic world, you know, like okay. Ireland, Scotland, um, course, England in general, uh, French Brittany, Galicia. We have like this anti-imperialist music, you know, uh, in which like the tribes sing these songs of freedom, which in other parts of the world, they somehow took the other position if you come here to central europe there are many places in which like folk music means something more rancid and more conservative and oh, something yes. like that i think yes. we, we talked we talked with sam uh, about this uh, yes uh, on the other podcast yes yeah sam lives in berlin <clears throat> so it's possible <clears throat> it's possible but uh, well 
coming back to the story in Galicia, there's all this connection and punks play bagpipes and um, yeah, there's a there's a whole you go to a squad and it's decorated with the Celtic things and spiritual things from the oral tradition and so on. Anyway, through punk, I played in many bands, I, and folk music was my private thing, something that I made at home. I had um, my acoustic guitar and a classical guitar, and my public music was punk. I also started playing guitar because my my bandmates were playing and I was just screaming and I thought they were having so much fun playing the instruments. So at the end I borrowed a, a guitar and it all started. It just was as simple as that. And through the years, the folk music started coming out suddenly. And the first years of Sangre are very timid and very, uh, very, uh, private too. I lived in the country. I live in a caravan. I play. I, that's when I bought the hurdy gurdy. I play my instruments in my porch. I have not even electricity. I, it was just very simple life. And once I moved to Germany, when I was in Galicia, I released a demo and the first album, which I can't, I can't dare to even listen to one second of those records. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what happened, you know. It's what happened, and uh, and yeah, I got to stand for it. <laughs> and but yeah, after I moved to Germany, it's when when somehow my private uh, folk music came out to the public somehow and heavy sounds because like yeah, well, Sergio is not so wrong saying that I. Maybe I have a background metal because even though my background is like, well, I would say punk or DIY punk, that was more always like a more of an ideological background. Mm -hmm. But when it came to music, I always played on that heavy side of music, even if we play in more like DIY punk uh, circuits, our music was more on the mournful, emotional, very melancholic, heavy music, to call it somehow, yeah. But it's yeah. so, I mean, what I've heard so far, I, I would not have thought that you were a punk. I, I would not have thought that you played punk. I mean, I, I, I still am. <laughs> well, I, I believe it, I believe it. But the, mu the music just sounds so... Yeah, it's, it's just a joke, right? yeah. Yeah, it just sounds so rich and full, and you know the, the term. I think um, um, Sergio used like or, or, organic. And yes. um, do you? I'm curious um, since when I'm listening to some of the tracks, I don't know who's singing what. But for example, I, I heard or saw one of your videos where you were singing along to a music box. It said like wow. 30, 30 note box, and you have a beautiful voice. So, Thank so you. what, what you're saying in, in in the punk uh band, you were doing the screaming, not necessarily much singing. No, I was screaming my guts out, really. Uh, it was like really extreme, really extreme music. That's yeah. everything I can say. It's like, I just, it was extreme emotional music because mm -hmm. I think if something characterizes all the heavy music I made in my life was a very high amount of emotional uh, charge or burden or sure. it's loaded, a load. You know, it's loaded with melancholy and emotion, and that was always the main part. I think Sangre is very emotional too, and so somehow, in I all I don't I don't feel like uh, uh, stop and go when I go from heavy music to to folk music because I 
eventually kept, and I keep on writing. At the moment, I write a lot of rock stuff, psychedelic stuff, 70s rock. I like music in general. I like stuff in general. Some of my favorite bands are all from the 60s and, and 70s. I like every uh, everything, uh, to be honest. But that emotional part, it's always a very primordial part. And when I write music, I always seek to express that yeah, I always struggle to give shape to something that you probably, that I cannot say with words, you know, just like that. That's something that you need to put through the strings or through poetry or whatever uh, expression way, right? Yeah. It's 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 so nice. I I, I would listen to him talking all day. Uh, that's, yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the. F <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> yes, the the, the the beeps are necessary, Ryan. Let's talk about Gordis a little bit. We we talked about uh, your project, your background, your music. But uh, now I am curious, which was your first Gurdy? Who made it? How did you get it? <laughs> uh, my first Gurdy was yes. made by Shaime Rivas. Oh, Shaime. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. Uh, Shaime is the teacher, or was. If, I'm done, if I didn't get this wrong, I... Okay. Uh, Air parentheses. Parentheses. Air, air, air parentheses, okay, yeah. Air parentheses. How? Air parentheses, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard the school of building Gurdis in Galicia is over. I hope I'm wrong. Oh, I hope you're wrong too. I hope I'm wrong and I got a wrong information. I don't know if it was uh, April Fool's information or something like that, but I, I read that somewhere. So fingers crossed, I hope not. But Shaime is the teacher of the Gurdi building school which is the, it's the, the, yeah, the place where, where builders like Cesar Loureiro, Jaime Rebollo are coming from. So Everyone. Jaime Rivas was the teacher of all these, of all these guys. And my first Gurdi Gurdi was a very simple, very, very, very archaic studio, Galician symphony, it's basically as simple as it gets. I, but it was everything I can afford. I was living in the caravan in the country. I didn't have much money. I bought my first Gurdi for 950 euro. And that's everything I could have. It had no, no dog, no, dog, no, which is no bass in bridge. That's it. I, it, had, it, 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 it had not even a trumpet. It has a, a G drone and a C drone. And then you have the three chanters. And... And that's it. You don't even have a, a, a mush, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. And that was my first Gurdi, but as soon as I, I, like, I think it was only five months later, I oh. was in, I was in, I tried a Rebollo 
in the in Galicia we have uh, this really 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 beautiful festival called Pardiñas. It's like some kind of our own mini Saint Chartrier or mini Leçon Continu, in which you have all the luthiers and you have there's a lot of backpacks, percussion, busukis, and and who the gurdis and there I tried one of Rebollos gurdis and I, that was like a revelation. You know, it was really just like hell this is really something else this is something else because that's the feeling i had this is something else and once i i, I was so because my first thought was like well with this simple gurdi i'm gonna carry on forever but it was just a few months later that i tried <laughs> one from Rebollo, and i yeah and i told myself again okay never say never and And that, that from that moment on, then I ended up having one of Cesar's instruments. But yeah, my first one was from from Jaime Rivas, and it was very simple, but it helped me to get a notion. I have to say, I didn't learn too much uh, with that, but it it got me. It just basically launched launched me into it. Yeah, right? Gave me the first gave me the first push. But when I got my Laredo, I felt like okay. Uh, reset somehow <laughs> I, yeah that's a mind was a bit of a mind reset yeah, yeah. and you how have long, one, oh, sorry go ahead uh, I was wondering how long have you been playing uh, it was not continuous because I have my first Gurdi for uh, I would say one and a half years mm-hmm. but then it happened like I ordered a, 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 a Gurdi from Laurelio from Cesar Uh, before he has this new model, this the one, the, the actual one that he's selling around. So I still, I ordered one of his old models. But and and that's what happened. That as soon as I order, then Cesar got some things on his way. Like he had to repair the whole lot of goodies from the Narong school, which is a school, a music school in northern Galicia. And then he got into designing the new one, which took a while, of course, and. And that's why I ended up with one of the prototypes of this of new of this new Laredo model, because I was already waiting for one of the old ones, and Cesar is amazing, uh, and he gave me a really good price uh, because I was waiting for so long. But it meant that I wait for like two and a half years, good for between Gurdis, because I sold my first Gurdi in order to buy. Thesars, but then all the designing and the re- restoration of the other gurdis got in the in the middle, and way too long time passed. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so how long have you been playing? <laughs> right. uh, one and a half years with my first gurdi, and I have Thesar one for six years almost. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. So let's uh, something like seven to eight years of playing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you play, I mean, I really, I feel like we're just showering you with compliments, but you, <laughs> you play beautifully. <laughs> I mean, it's just really, I mean, really it, wonderful. It's what he deserves. Yes. He sings beautifully. He, sings beautifully. he composes amazingly. So what can you say? I mean, <laughs> I mean when, 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 um, when Sergio, you know, told me about you, when Sergio told me about you, I, I didn't really know much. And so then I started looking you up. You sent me your, um, your YouTube page for uh, uh, the band. And 
I just got lost in it. I thought, man, why have I never heard of him before? <laughs> so, it's, it's your kind of music, Ryan. I think it, it is. Tweets, it it is you. definitely my kind of music. Yes. Wow, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, for what I've seen, I also I, I like your kind of music because I always see you sitting there with like with Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath t-shirts. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the good. mighty, the mighty Andrei Virogradov uh, T-shirt. Yes, I, I, re I recently had a, I was going to wear it today, but it needs washed. I have an uh, Andre Vinogradov T-shirt that I had made. <laughs> it needs washed. Yeah. 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 I, I, I love, I love that. I love that Vinogradov first mm -hmm. album, which is mm -hmm. like half uh, trad songs, half street musician songs, if I'm yes. not wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, when I discovered that, uh, I, uh, I was on my knees. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really, really like it. Especially like that the spirit that will goes through the instrument and comes out to your ears. It's yeah. really cool. I really like it. Really yeah. like it. Very deep. And then this uh, gets us to the next question, which is, who uh, are your five top uh, players? Like the players you uh, enjoy the most, or the players that uh, influenced. Your music. The, it used to be. It used to be three, but I think you bumped it up to five. <laughs> it, used to be, it used to be three, but it's so so difficult. I mean, yeah. if you can make the top three, then go for it. But let's okay. Do five. Thanks for saying five because I think I cannot. <laughs> See? <laughs> I cannot put my favorite players in a top ten because I I basically like everybody and I look up to everybody and I always like I, I on guitar too on any instrument I. I, 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 sometimes it's it's amazing. Music is amazing, right, guys? Because mm -hmm. sometimes yes. you can see somebody with a gurdi or with a guitar that has no clue, but that's a move that maybe it's, yeah. it's it can be clumsy, badly made or whatever, but it can trigger an idea or it can it can click something, and I, I like that a lot. But when it comes to my favorites. Oh, I have to say Herman, Herman Diaz. Herman. He's a big influence, and I like his, he's unique. To me, he's something else. And then I love, I, I like a friend. A friend is a really good influence, and I really like his approach too, and his musicality. And and, and, and I have the feeling, like he's a very, he's an extremely technical musician, like Herman is. Both of them are extremely technical, but both of them will sacrifice technicality for musicality at any moment, you know, or at least this is my feeling, you know, like the, and, the and this is an approach that I like. And I have to say that this is something that, that often I, I find in hurdy-gurdy music, Correct me if I'm wrong, and uh, but I have the feeling that a lot of times, like people, pay more attention to technicality than musicality. And I really like to see all these like masters of the Gurdi that have like an amazing technicality. Sometimes come out with simple songs, you know. At least compared to what, at least to com compare to what they are able to do in a, in a technical on a technical side of it. So this is something I appreciate in these guys very much. I like Patrick Buffard very much. He's a very exciting player to me. Radically different than Herman, for example, but unbelievable. Um, and damn, I, I just realized I'm saying only guys. 
This podcast is inclusive. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, my, my next one, I have to say, Oscar Fernandez from Galicia. Oh. He's, a, he's a big influence for me. And he's also somebody that keeps himself always super humble, super... He enjoys his... Uh, to me, he feels like a very authentic musician. This incredible technicality and musicality in his compositions and in his interpretations and it, he, he, for me he's someone from whom lots of people should turn an eye to because his technique is is beauty and is very uh genuine i will say he's, what, what's his name again oscar fernandez Oscar, okay. okay. Yeah, he's a accord he's an amazing accordionist. He plays in the in the Sempes, which for like many old school folk people, it's very, very important. It is a very important Galician folk band. Unique too. Very nice. uh, you, you, maybe we, we can uh, write this in the description because it's definitely uh, worth it. Uh, you guys, if you want to, to hear very, very nice Folk music, go find Ostempe on on YouTube, really, really, or buy the albums. <laughs> super nice, super humble, super beautiful, and and I don't know to whom I can give uh, the next spot, which is already the, the the last one. But there are many, there are many players that I love. I love Ramon Rodriguez. He has an amazing. French style. He's one of the Spanish players with, the, with a really beautiful French, very traditional style. His band Pan de Capazo was always a total reference for me. And and then on top of this, there are a lot of people I love. I love Johannes, obviously. I like and I appreciate a lot of different aspects on on people like all these new gener gener new generation of Swedes and, and Danish uh, folk school people are coming super strong in Galicia. There's so many unknown unknown players, you know, that keep themselves very and yeah at a very local level. There's amazing stuff, France. So yeah, I like. Wait, uh, Nigel Eaton, Nigel, Nigel. Oh, yeah. one of my, yeah, I don't know how I, can I forget, but, but <laughs> Nigel is one of my very, 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 very favorites. And for me, he's also unique in his absolute own right. He's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And he's another guy that his musicality will always reign. His technical ability is insane uh, to me, and I guess to everybody, to anybody. <laughs> yes. But I like the musicality, and I like I, I especially appreciate a lot always to 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 favor the musicality over the technicality. Yeah, you, you, you've mentioned you've mentioned that a few times, and and I can imagine what you're saying. But when you're saying you know that they can give more attention to musicality versus technicality, are you, are you saying that even though they can show off, they don't? Or what do you what do you mean? Can you flesh that out a little bit? What do you mean by that? They show off and. Uh, in their own way, I guess, and, and all of them that I know personally, they are the most humble, down-to-earth people I know, and that makes them even more amazing players to me. And But yeah, okay, it, it's, it, their technicality is there, but I think sometimes you reach a level in which you can yes. somehow not disguise your technicality, but you can make stuff that is not that simple, sound simple. Or you can, I think sometimes, I, I always think it's better to be 
simple and solid than than try to be technical and and be sloppy you know right. because and yes, with, totally. the best example is on a drummer you know i prefer a drummer that spends five minutes doing easy easy mm-hmm. whatever it is i rather go for that than than thousand fill-ins and and mm-hmm. and roles that are not that are sloppy and I think and, and this is but this is my approach, you know. I think these guys don't lack also technicality in their totally. output, in their life for records, but I think they will never sacrifice uh, musicality or expression in a song in order to incorporate a technicality for the sake of it. Maybe I'm wrong, huh? maybe right. I don't yeah. think you're wrong, uh, and and this this is is uh, especially very clear when you when you hear uh, Herman playing because he definitely can play like what Coupe de sixteen, <laughs> like he he finished the game. I, uh, he just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now he's just playing for fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. and now and now the the it's clear that he's he seeks the expression, the the detail. He finished the game. <laughs> he, well, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't need to, to 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 show to show off, as you said. Yeah. Well, the beautiful part of music is that you never finish the game, you know. And Herman has a lot to tell, and he has, and he will always have. I mean, I will be always thirsty and ready to hear what he has to tell. Same and here. I always say, like, if guys like Chopin or Beethoven died or Bach died without reaching any end, we are. We can be very relaxed about that. That music, <laughs> sure. it's, yeah. it's true. It's true. Music yeah. is never is never going to end. And and but since you mentioned this, all these coups, for example, I I'm a self-taught player, and I I attended two workshops in my life. One was with Ancho Pintos, which was a very a, a very beautiful. It was an amazing workshop. How much? percent of the workshop was about the coups and the right hand zero because mm-hmm. he he doesn't play right hand right uh, Pablo? He, he 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 does play it but he he said that he doesn't shine and that he has a lot to learn himself mm-hmm. and he says it very easily and i'm sure it's it's another favorite of mine sure Again, very nice. you know top eight uh, <laughs> 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 it's a beautiful person, musician, everything, the worship with him was heavenly and we learned so much. I learned so much without realizing how much I was learning that it took me weeks to realize how much I learned with him. And it was zero right hand. Herman, the second workshop I did was with Herman and also, you know, some of us students was like, oh, show show us Coupe the the 12, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and 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 what did Herman say? Why you know? Why are you? When are you going to use Coupe the Twelve? This is not musical. Yeah, his answer was like, "This is not musical. It's for fun." And this is what Herman says: Coupe the Twelve is for fun, you know, and to show off and to, I don't know. It's just something. It's almost too much. It's like playing a solo in which you play like twenty-four notes per second. Like he will do like Satriani, or it's just for the fun of it and for pushing human ability, something like that. And of course he can do Coupe the 16 and probably some people out there are getting further. But 
Yeah, it's also, I think he also mentioned it about to to get people with feet on the ground. It's just like, okay, it's cool you learn, you push your limits, you know, this is really positive for people. We push our limits, we bring our playing forward and forward and forward and we learn and it's amazing to get to do a group of so many but then when you think about composing and music on a song that's that's my guess you know why Herman was just like why do you want to learn group the 12 this you will use for nothing you know Definitely. yeah yeah, and this was beautiful that was a beautiful answer it really got me like on my on my back on the chair, like, yeah, listen to this, man. It's just, it's a life lesson, you know. It's not only about music, yeah. Right, right. Well, <laughs> b- before, we, before we go too far, because um, I'm sure we've got a lot more to cover, um, you've got a new album coming out, right? Yes, yeah. Um, why don't we listen to uh, track five, uh, Lunchania. Did I pronounce that correctly? Perfect, Lunchania, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so why don't we take a listen to that, and we'll come back and talk about your new album. Let's do it. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Lunchania.
right, so we're back with Pablo and Sergio, and we just got done listening to Lanchania track five from Pablo's new album. Um, what would you like to tell us about your, your this t- this track, this tune, or uh, the album itself? Anything? Sure. Well, well, the album is the fifth studio album by Sangre, um, which is, I will say, my main project since years. Um, it's probably the over 10th released, if I'm not wrong, but fifth full-length album. Um, well, it's about to come out, or, well, by the time we are on air, like, yeah. It's, yeah, released. Out. It, it's out. It's out. It's out. I'm gonna say no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a joke. Cut that, please. Uh, the album is just out and it features 11 new tracks. Only one is a fully traditional song, and Anglonshania is one of the four songs that feature Hoodie Goody in the whole album. And it's uh, it has an intro which is more like a Galician style romance. It has no no right hand technique besides just turning, cranking. And mm-hmm. the second part is a Polska, which is a more like a Northern Europe, Swedish, Scandinavian uh, dance. And it's also uh, I wrote it quite a. Quite a while ago, actually, the, the this song is. It took a really long time to put together. Just like work on it, then forgot about it. That came, then I came back for it. Then one day I wrote that intro. Then I placed it in front. It was a whole developing of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's a beautiful. I mean, so far from what I've heard, it's it's lovely. <laughs> so, Thank you so good. much. I'm, yeah. I'm very glad. Very happy with the new with the new album. We have Herman also collaborating. We have some people from the Hurdy Gurdy world because Herman Diaz uh, placing one of the songs, and Fran Lopez mastered the album, which did a uh, beautiful work. I love it very much. So, thank you, friend. Thank you, Herman very much for being there and yeah we work it a lot so i'm actually happy and nervous to to see what's what's with it mm-hmm. how i was long? about to say also that the record is still not out but. <laughs> how long how long had you been working on recording it how long did that take the process to record the album uh it was uh it was in two chunks i will say Usually we have limited time at studio for different reasons. And now, even though we recorded in our own studio that we have here in Leipzig, <coughs> our harpist lives in the United States. She's oh. from Oregon. She lives in Salem. So we had four days, some four days only to record the... So we recorded in this way. We recorded a live quartet, and this is like the skeleton of the album, all together in the room, with a viola, with a Celtic harp, uh, guitar or hoodie gurdy, depends what I play in the song, and a nickel harpa. And then on top, we recorded, we, we, then we went on tour. Uh, we were oh, supposed no. to be on tour for almost four weeks. I was supposed to, to meet Sergio, but yeah. actually, actually in Barcelona was the... the the coming back 
they we played only for concerts and that was the big weekend of corona outbreak when every country was going nuts the news were uh, uh, burning hot every hour and so on we drove back home mm -hmm. uh, but yeah That was, that um, was, was terrible, I, Pablo. That was terrible, really. Yeah. Because And so we, many shows yeah. were canceled. And, oh. It happened to everybody, you know. I just, I I, for me, it was painful because it was, uh, I organized the whole tour. We, had, we, we didn't have an agent uh, at the moment. And we were like, let's say, in between agents. So uh, it was a kind of, I, I needed to prove myself that I could DIY the tour And I and I and I put so much effort. I work since August until March, like very hardly on having a very proper, professionally organized tour, really well done. And so, yeah. But you can't you can't do nothing against uh, that, you know. So at the end, we just came back home, and I was like, I'd rather don't feel frustrated for something I have no power over, you know, and that I cannot change no matter what. So after the lockdown, even if in here in Germany it was more of a symbolic lo lockdown, not forced, but but then after that it was in early May that we came to finish the album and recorded all the voices, the percussions, the flutes. We recorded, we opened up the the flutes, the music boxes. The, we incorporated a couple of field recordings and these little things. Recorded the interludes, <coughs> a couple. Yeah. yeah, so, and then, so we work for a few days afterwards. But what is the, the quartet recording? It's always kind of tight because we have four days and four days only. And Asia then, Asia is our happiest. Uh, even she lives in America, even though she's called Asia. And <laughs> she, ha she, she has this limited time, so we have to cope With that, I wish that for this, I'm really happy with the result, but I wish that for this album we had a bit extra time because the, the second part of the recording, it was the first time ever that we really had all the time we wanted to do things, you know, and even go to the studio to record some, some overdubs and okay, and uh, it's like, ah, oh, today's not my day. Okay, just go home. It's okay. You know, it's no no problem. We do it tomorrow. And this is a luxury. Well, it did, this used to be a luxury because now we live in times of home studios, right? And and it is relatively easy compared to 20 years ago to do a, a pro professional result home studio album. Uh, in the 90s, when I started recording, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my microphones. <laughs> right? But everybody knows that. In the 90s, you go to a studio and it's like, okay, guys, we have three days, or we have one day, or we have... I recorded albums in one day, just like... Ah, mix in a couple of hours, we go back home with the... With the, the tape. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I mean, we were kids, you know, but it's just like... Ah, it's all together... Oh, as noisy as possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What happened with the Adams family? Tell everybody. Uh, the song. <laughs> Because you, you used to... Okay, let me explain this. You, you used to explain this uh, history on, on, the, on the shows when you play, but maybe 
uh, our audience didn't have the chance to go to see you live. So maybe yeah. you can explain it here. <laughs> sure. Well, you are asking me about a song that we only played live. Exactly. And that we never recorded uh, yet. Because <clears throat> I, I, don't, I don't know, but... I don't know how many tunes I've written, but most of them are not public, public or published or even recorded, but I have tons of music that I have to slowly uh, get to record. And the Adams, uh, with the song, it's a Polska dance and that we baptize the Polska after Adams song, which we, I, I guess like the people into traditional music maybe recognize that Polska, like in Sweden, the Polska, which basically means like Polonese, uh, songs they are named often after the name of the person that composed it. So it's like Polska after Johansson, Polska after Biscale, Polska as uh, many of them. So this one, since it started with the family Adams phrase, don, 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 don. <laughs> know, it started with those four notes, and somehow the thing, it's like the story comes before. It starts before I wrote the song, because like for whatever reason, I was cursed with the song of the Adams family <laughs> stuck in my mind for every single day, especially when I walked home or when I was going, I was walking somewhere and the, and the walking <laughs> rhythm is very Adams family like. So I found myself often like da, 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 da. But it done walking <laughs> in the streets until I was so done with the song that that uh, I decided to write a song that started with pa 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 pan. So every time that I will get the earworm of the Adams family, I could just detour right away to <laughs> to the other tune. So instead of being stuck with the pa 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 pan, da 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 da, and then I could go pa 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 pan, pa da 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 it was some kind of good self-medicine. And then that's why it came with the name of the Posca after Adam song, because of the first four notes. And one day we, we will record it, that's for Please sure. Please record yeah. it. It's so nice. Yeah, it's yeah. so nice. <laughs> I, I, I want to record a lot of tunes. That's probably one of the next plans we have is another tunes album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something like that. I won't reveal much more. Then. Is there any live recordings of this tune, like on YouTube or any, anywhere? I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. We'll have to dig that <laughs> up. Um, so one one question I have for you, um, since a lot of people listen to the the Hurdy this podcast, the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe, um, and they're all, all levels of um, players, um, people who are just getting into the Hurdy Gurdy, um, how uh, you were self taught, um, and, uh, and mm -hmm. teachers teachers are very useful because I'm I'm also a combination of self taught, but then I realized I definitely need to. <laughs> have someone tell me a few things um yeah. how would you encourage people who are getting into the hurdy-gurdy how, how would you encourage them to to learn or to approach it any any insights from your your own experience yeah um be fearless <laughs> oh okay hey. what do you mean I mean that I think one a, a very important part of being a, a gurdy player and to learn the instrument is to have no fear to put your fingers in and to move and to tense and distend and detense and and just like 
don't treat your gurdi like this fragile porcelain object. Exactly. Yes. Treat your gurdi like a guitar. Don't be scared to grab it, to open, to attach, detach, remove, twist, and everything. I think this is because you don't learn how to play gurdi without learning how to maintain it. And this uh-huh. is something that anybody, this is some of one of the, this is the first thing you have to learn. It's like if you want to spend, if you want to invest the time to learn how to play gurdi, you have to invest the time to maintain it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, teaching, I have nothing to say about that because I'm self-taught. I, mm-hmm. My self-experience, I'm a very dedicated person. So when I want to go for something, I go for it. And I, it took me blood and sweat to, to come to where I am. Not that I place myself in any position at all. But of course, when you study, when you practice and practice, you harvest at one point, you will. You will harvest. So play and have no fear and develop your, your ear. I think teachers are very helpful. I myself learn a lot in the true workshops in the true workshops that i attended i learned so much with both uh, uh, ancho and, and german and i also learn a lot just talking to people and i have to admit that there were a couple of concepts sometimes that really were revelating to me revealing they were revealing to me stuff that i i never thought before and Suddenly, it feels so basic. Like I play it for five, four or five years, Gurdi, and then one day, I, I think it, it was in, the, in one of the one of the Gurdi groups. I read a comment, mm-hmm. I believe, by Nigel Eaton, that was telling a, a, a new player, uh, "Think of the think of the Gurdi as a rhythmic." instrument and that the right hand leads you know right hand leads and this is something that i've never been pictured consciously you know just to have this that conscious about it because for me i think unconsciously i played more like the right hand follows the melody and try to fit but once i read that i was like this is how it goes because the one has to be always the one and it has to be always on point. And if this hand goes on point, the other one has to follow the point. And this was somehow a notion that this is one of the times, at least this is this one time that I, I thought like, why nobody told me ever that. You know? <laughs> yes. And yeah. sometimes we live with some of these concepts or we are not fully conscious about some ideas that maybe can improve our playing from like uh, many layers behind, not something like, okay, it's going to be so obvious that I learned this new technique, but it's something that strengthens strengthens our foundations as players, you know, like this kind of concept that you know that the, the, the rhythm has to be on point, like a drummer, you know, you, you have to be on point. Right. And so, but... But coming back to the, sorry, I have the feeling uh, I talk too much, right? No, no, no it's no. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the players should be fearless. And, and I think you should, people should develop their, their criticisms, you know, and they also should be fearless about asking. 
because this is also something that it happens, I think, sometimes because of not trying to appear uh, ignorant. People don't ask, and uh, you know, because of the fear of, oh yeah, they're going to appear so, so like that I don't know or or whatever. And I think it's really good. And I'm, for example, myself, I I always try to ask every question for as basic as it may seem, but it's just like, hey, just to make sure. And I think people should question their things and, and have a critical eye. Mm-hmm. This, is my, this is my advice. Yeah. Well, to, to follow up, when you're talk, so when you talk about the, the right-hand leads, you mentioning that, it, it reminded me, I remember um, when I started working on the trumpet and Sergio was giving me some uh, advice on that, I found, this kind of brought it all together for me, that when I started trying to focus more on the right hand, even if I was just hitting the one, just one, and I just mm-hmm. kept doing that, I actually realized all of a sudden that many of the melodies I was trying to learn, it became easier for me to learn them somehow. Yes. And I, you, you were being like your own metronome somehow. Yeah, and, and that, yeah. That, made, that made all the difference. But I've got a question for both of you because both of you play guitar, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Pablo better than me, a lot better than me. <laughs> well. Well, can play some chords. <laughs> this comes up a lot. Maybe, maybe it's just about using the uh, the the right hand more. But you know, coming from Irish music, where I would play mainly octave mandolin or bazooki to back up uh, sessions, I would always tap my foot just to keep the rhythm. Mm-hmm. I have a hell of a time doing that with the hurdy gurdy because when I'm cranking and then I start trying to tap my foot, then the hurdy gurdy is going up and down. It's another so, another dissociation. Oh, because you are tapping the right foot or the left one. Well, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm tapping the right foot, and maybe oh. that's the problem. But still, even when I tap the left foot, even when I tap the left foot, you know, it's it's going to lift this bottom part. So, am I just what what am I doing wrong? <laughs> Should I not tap my foot? <laughs> Do you tap your foot? I tap my foot a lot. lot. Okay, yeah. you do. Yeah. I, I don't care about lots of, lots of the Galician stuff. I I only tap the foot. Okay. I don't I don't do right hand rhythm for some for the traditional dances from Galicia. I wouldn't do right hand most of the time. Sometimes I do, but often I do only foot. Yeah. Okay, and it works out. It, it must just be me for some reason because I, I get going and I start tapping my foot and then I get off. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. it's like another, well, no, I, another dissociation, right? But but I don't know. I, okay. I really want to hear uh, Nigel Eaton talking about the footwork, really, because he's he's amazing when, when he's playing. He's just, bah, bah, bah. That's true. That's true. Lovely. I, mm. I really want to yeah. hear him talking about this. Nigel. Come to the podcast. Final warning. <laughs> well, well let's, let's write that question down because that's a good point. Now that I think about it, when I've seen him playing, he's definitely tapping quite vigorously. <laughs> yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He adds, does. I like it. Adds so, yeah. something to the, to the character of, of the pieces he's, he's playing. Mm-hmm. And I, I also wanted to say something about the, the fearless uh, concept that uh, Pablo uh, advised to the, to the beginners. Now, with, with my beginner students, I am uh, also uh, starting to, 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 to think about that. And I am um, encouraging them to improvise a lot from the, from the first day, really. Because 
um, when they start playing, they go like eh, a bit shy and eh, I don't know if I'm playing good or not. But once you uh, learn your first scale, your first mode, you know the notes, you have uh, some steps, you can improvise, you can get your own melodies. And uh, I think this is very important for developing uh, your your own uh, character, your own musicality. Don't let this for the future. Uh, I don't think you need to learn. I don't think you you need to know how to play at all to improvise and to create and to experiment. And yeah, this is right. going to give you a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of power from the minute one. I learned like that. Sure, I, yes. I, I, just like that. yes. I just learned writing songs, you know. This and is, and this I did the opposite. Really... I did the opposite. And and I'm, I, <laughs> and it's it's terrible. It's it's a terrible concept because uh, now for me it's very difficult, not very difficult because now I'm starting to, to compose more and, and stuff, but I, I made it the other way. And I think if I if I had explored the musicality, the the improvisation the creativity from early stages. Mm -hmm. Now I would play super different and probably better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you probably, you, I mean, that, you absolutely, definitely you will, you will play different because my story is exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. I borrow a guitar that a friend of mine had in the in in the attic of her family. It it didn't even have strings or anything. And I put some strings and I just started making sounds of, out of out of the guitar without yes. having a clue. Really, yes. without having a clue, I <clears throat> just started to make things. And many years passed, and many songs I wrote, and many records I I put out, and it is now. After 20 plus years of playing music, guitar, different instruments, drums, and Gurdi for many years, and among other stuff, it is now that I'm starting to learn how to read music and started. <laughs> but I made it all the way till here without that. And, 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 and it's a really interesting concept to develop first the other part because usually it's the other way and i know a lot of people that study in the conservatorium and that and it's really for example it's really shocking to me when i meet somebody for and i know this person for a year or two and i never relate them to music or anything and then they told me no yes i study eight years of piano or i study oh, yes. seven years of of guitar or a violin but i hate it you know and just like what what are you, what are you? <laughs> you know but I, I i mean with the years i learn the lesson and i know that this happens to many people which that this doesn't mean that it will happen to you of course you know i i often dream of half studying music because I didn't, you know, but then there's other people like Sergio that said, I wish I also did it the other way. And yes. <laughs> so I think there's no, there's no, how you say, there's no golden light, like one path, you know, no, I think there are many ways to approach music from many different. I think, I think the right path is the mixed uh, path actually like don't don't go straight here or straight here like mix learn from everybody uh, take little things from everything you 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 hear really yeah but depends for who okay. sure of course yes yeah depends on the person Some people yeah and i i, I mean and 
when you play with other people, for example, playing in a band with somebody, whatever it is, garage punk to rock to folk, anything, play with other people, even other instruments, just playing together, mm -hmm. it makes you learn like okay. crazy. You learn from your mates all the time. And I learn from my bandmates everything. I mean, I learn life itself, of course. Well, talk, talking about reading sheet music and not reading sheet music, um, I'm not really good at uh, I can kind of read sheet music um, and I can kind of learn by ear. But one of the things that I found is that when I learn tunes by ear, I tend to learn them better. And I tend to not like when I've learned tunes by sheet music, like if I was in a session, someone says, let's play this tune. Then I, I, I have to hear the name before I know it. But if I've learned it by ear, I can just go with it. So I think that there's, uh, you know, I'm trying to learn one of those Efren Lopez tunes, like this, da 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 What's that tune? This is Ortus Deliciarum. Yes, yes, yes. I've been trying to learn that. And while I can get little bits of it, what's been helpful. A drum like that one up there. Yes, yes. Yes. That's that's what I'm working on. But the sheet music helped me to find, like you were saying earlier, Pablo, those notes that, that I couldn't quite catch. Yes. Yeah, you, right. you know, so I, I do think that it's, it's best to do both in a way sometimes. Yeah. A, a very interesting story uh, related to this, what you're telling. Uh, when I was at the workshop with Herman, I actually, I, I, I had no clue how to read basically and I, I wrote him before and it's like hey can i do the workshop without knowing how to read and he told me no problem then i went to the workshop and it was like well i had a little problem because <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah the, the thing is that everyone we were nine uh, uh, and everyone could read music and so everyone had like i got also all the sheets and stuff but i was learning everything during the whole weekend by ear and it was exhausting my brain was like uh smoking out like <laughs> by the ear because it was so much information you know like but everyone else had it uh, on the sheet and something really interesting is when the last day came and herman told us uh what do let's let's rework something do you guys want to revisit anything that we've worked uh, in these last couple of days. And I could remember every single thing we work on. And basically no one else was really, maybe they remember this one piece or another one, but I was really, if I had everything really fresh and I was telling, ah, maybe we can do that. Or maybe we can do that. Or maybe you can do that. And everyone was just like, which one was that? Oh, I don't remember that. I don't exactly. remember that. And, and I didn't even think about it until days later. And I was like, ah, I will, speaking of the subject of reading music and memorizing and so on. And I never thought of that part of how like to be able to read so good maybe can make you lazy to learn by memory because you yes. have everything written down on a paper. And, and some of my pro musicians, the friends that play for other people uh, on a regular le level, they often say that it is 
quite a stress if they don't they they rely sometimes too much on the score mm -hmm. that then they don't enjoy a little bit of the performance because maybe they didn't even visit the the score and they just open it for the first time in order to perform and it's such a brutal exercise for the mind at uh, most of the moments right this well, is not my personal experience because i don't read but close friends of mine have told me that you know like the difference between enjoying a concert in which you are free to just like uh put out the music that it's already inside of you than if you have to be focusing on on right. your score right well and going back to that idea you were talking about being fearless and how sergio put together the idea of just playing, just, you know, getting the, the hurdy-gurdy out and just playing and, and seeing what comes out. I mean, that's in a way like you're learning the language of, of music. So the more you do it, you, you, you know that when you, you, you play this note, it sounds like this. When you move your finger here, it sounds like this. Well, if you're just playing, you're learning exactly where it needs to go. And then it's more likely, I think, that um, when, you, when you start to play, say, with someone else or you're writing something, you can actually... You, you know what you want to say, just like you know what words you want to speak. You, you don't have to sit there and read the words. You can just think for yourself and come up with things. Well, if you know how the, the Gertie sounds and where all the notes are, then you know, well, if I, if, I, if I hear this in my head, all I have to do is, you know, move my fingers this way. So it, to me, it's almost like learning a language um, just by playing, just by learning the instrument by playing the instrument, you know. It is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. Or at least for me, this is what music is. It's uh, an expression and yeah, it's literally learning how to speak another language. And there in this, in this learning process, it's where you discover so much also about yourself when it comes not only with music but like with poetry with different with painting with any any art craft that it's a, a means of an expression or like a, a a way to express yourself this is how you let's uh, how can i say how do you how you reach that the that, that we enjoy so much. Like, for example, there's a, there's a famous phrase that says, uh, the poet has only something to say when, when he's incapable to find the words to, to tell the, the feeling that he's holding. And for me, music is that. And what I try to do with music is to express all those things that they are very clear in our minds, in our, you know, we want to always reach that, state that ecstatic state or that state of grace to call it somehow in which like music like many other arts or even even meditation or all the kind of activities and exercises i think different ones uh, work better or worse for different people we all have hours but it's but it's it's a lot about like learning how to uh, see a little beyond and not only look, but to get able to put like a real eye there and then try to channel this out through the strings, through the words, through the, through the anything. And it's totally a language. I agree a hundred percent because if you can tell with your instrument, I'm sad or I'm happy or I am, not only that, like the people tell so much, 
you can tell so much with your instruments that you cannot tell with words or with anything else. And there's, and that's the beauty of it. It's just like how you describe this song. Well, listen to the melodies. Or sometimes I myself also write lyrics for a song and I decide that the melody is telling the story much better than any <laughs> word that, that, that I can, that I, and it's not, it happened to me more than once that I write lyrics for a song and that I would sing it for a couple of weeks. And then I'm like, ah, oh, screw these lyrics because the, <laughs> the melody, it's saying it's so much better than, than the word. Yeah. Right. Right. How is it for yeah. you, Sergio? No, I, I am embellished right now because <laughs> I was thinking the same thing you said uh, about Nigel and how, how uh, just reading a phrase can change uh, the way you, you think about the instrument and about music. It happened uh, the same we, we, uh, to me, uh, hearing you uh, now. Like, it makes uh, a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, now I am trying, uh, now I, I am in a moment, personally, where I am trying to discover my own, my, my musicality and uh, step a little bit uh, away from the technical side and explore more the composition, the improvisation and so on. And it was very revealing uh, what you said, Pablo, really. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, really. I cannot say anything else. It, it, this, is, uh, this helped me, actually, uh, a lot. Uh, like, uh, hearing, Thank you. Hearing I'm glad to hear about this. Really nice. <laughs> well... On, on that note, <laughs> uh, we've reached we've reached the end of our, our time together. But just oh, out, yes. just, just to check yes. in, just to check in, um, Sergio, do you have any final questions for for Pablo today? Uh, I could be here all day. Yeah, but, uh, me too. I, I don't think yeah, I have more questions. Too. It was it was very nice, Pablo, uh, to have you here. Thank you. Uh, I hope your uh, new album. Uh, it's very successful. I hope we can tour a lot uh, this year, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Especially and this year. Yes, <clears throat> uh, next year probably. And uh, nothing else. <laughs> it was it was fantastic to have you here, really. Okay, excellent. And on our way out, we're going to be listening to another tune uh, that, that Pablo um, uh, recommended. So Pablo, can you tell us the name of this tune again and also uh, the band? Yes, I, it was one of the first tunes, like, <clears throat> I thought, okay, I want to choose a song for the podcast from other artists, and <clears throat> Edwin Garner are a big influence for me in, in many ways, I, and this song, it's just, like, so beautiful, and... I I have to say that Hedden Garner is one of the bands that also sh showed me or like taught me a lot about approach to folk music because they are very fearless. I have to say I'm very daring and very, they took real folk music and real folk dances to places that no one else uh, did before. And I think uh, they, they somehow, the Galician Seeing in Galician Hurdy Gurdis, they were the main, the first reason of why I was captivated by, by Hurdy Gurdi. But in my teenage years, I discovered Hedning Garna, and they were like somehow the ones that actually brought it all uh, very clear to me. And, and this song is called Skam Kreprit, or something like that. Okay. 
and I hope you enjoy. And I want to say a very big thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure to to talk with you guys. Uh, very nice to meet you, Ryan. And yes, you too. And that I'm very very grateful and and honored that you guys uh, thought of me to have me in the podcast. Thank you very much. And wow. hi everybody. Yes, wonderful. Wow. <laughs> So let's listen to Handy Come on. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Play it. Yes. <laughs> It's gone. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm.